As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for our second episode of the week. Uh, very excited for our guest this week, Molly McGrath from ESPN. We're going to talk to her. She was at the Alabama Ole Miss game. I'm going to talk about that, but mostly talk about uh, her very unique experiences this year as a uh, sideline reporter who is also expecting a baby. Um, Bruce, first off, I mean, the news this week is that uh, the outbreaks have come for the SEC after uh, managing to avoid them a lot longer than the other conferences. Vanderbilt uh, had to postpone its game uh, at Missouri. And uh, as of right before we came on here, Florida, LSU is off. Um, Florida, I mean, what a crazy turn of events there where from from Dan Mullen talking about wanting to have 90,000 people in the swamp on Saturday to him kind of doubling down on Monday and saying, uh, and in the course of doing so, mentioning that they've been a model for health and safety uh, protocols. And then on Tuesday, we get the report that they're shutting down practice and that um, the student paper there, the Alligator, reported 19 uh, positive cases. Um, Dan Mullen said on the SEC teleconference that includes two assistant coaches. So, um, And Baylor, too. Baylor had to shut things down, had to kill off the Oklahoma State game. So... It's interesting. I mean, it seems like there's a there's a recurring theme here, which is, man, it, all it takes is one or two guys to slip through the cracks, and this thing slips spreads like crazy. Right, and and the case of Baylor, from my understanding, is they didn't know really where it started. Was it a false negative, or somebody's on the trip? And then you're talking about again, it's not traveling necessarily just with the planes, but it could be. You're in a cramped visitor's locker room. It's a team dinner, um, you know, and then all of a sudden the cases start to mount up. Florida went to testing every day. Uh, and so I think it's not just, hey, this is the number. Where are, they, where are they in relationship to the 53 scholarship players? But it's also when you start to see, okay, you went from five to 19, then all of a sudden is it just going to stop at 19 or all of a sudden you're going to, you know, is it is it then spreading there, not just players, staff. Obviously, Baylor also had a lot of staff members, and I think this is the 
this is the con- is one of the concerns with college football. I mean, certainly baseball had you know had some rocky moments, but was able to to plow through. But I think these situations are are different in terms of what college football is compared to these other sports. Certainly, it didn't have a bubble like the NBA and the NHL and the WNBA, but also just especially as it relates to when teams travel and some of the things that they deal with on their travel, I think has made it even more problematic. And so, you know, look, let's keep our fingers crossed that this thing can, you know, can, can be mitigated somewhat and that, you know, it can get back on track, but I don't think anyone's too surprised that it's that, you know, this has happened now. Even in the NFL, where obviously you're now having some issues, certainly with Tennessee Titans and a couple other teams, the numbers of, of players who tested positive compared to some of the things we've seen in college, you know, I mean, Vanderbilt had to postpone the game because they don't even have 53 players available. Um, and that's because, you know, the NFL, they're not in a bubble, but they are testing every day. Um, the Big Ten and Pac-12 are planning to test every day. Uh, the SEC, it varies by the team, but generally three times a week, maybe one more. And look, I mean, that's crazy. Florida actually sent out a press release Tuesday morning with their test results for the entire athletic department through the day before. And it was six total athletes uh, across the whole department in the entire month of October. And then you go from that to the, they get test, more tests Tuesday and you're up to 19 football players. Um, in terms of the impact on the schedule uh, right now, the, the SEC built in that off week on December 12th, the week before the SEC championship game for this very reason. And the two games this week are going to be moved to then, but you already know, like you're going to be up against it for the Florida Missouri game. Florida Missouri game next week because these guys that test positive have to go into isolation for ten days, and the close contacts have to quarantine for fourteen days. And so, I mean, the SEC, in many ways, I thought was smart to start later and learn from some of the mistakes the other conferences might have made. But it also gives them very little margin for error. So you've got one makeup date, but what happens if Florida has to postpone two games in a row? Now you're looking at a scenario probably where they're just going to – the standings, not everybody's going to play the same number of games. Yeah, I, look, we have to see where this is headed. Obviously, there's also some reports about Ole Miss now having also some COVID issues as well. So I think, uh, you know, look, it's as much as people can pre- preach precautions and you hope these are, are mild or asymptomatic cases. And I, I know we mentioned a minute ago about two Florida coaches testing positive according to Dan Mullen. He said they were asymptomatic. So, you know, hopefully it's, these things are mild. Um, and like, like we've said a lot, we're on uncharted waters with all this. And, and uh, I just think this is probably, you know, even with more testing because Certainly the Pac-12 coming back and the Big Ten coming back, their decisions were really dramatically impacted by daily testing. I mean, Florida went to daily testing, according to Dan Mullen, this week. And it's like, I think, you know, would it have been different if they were in daily testing last week? Who knows the answer to that? Well, state of the SEC right now, they're not defending much of anything, right? I don't know if that's we point. actually we don't usually do this one by video, but we are doing this one by video. And the look on Bruce's face was a big cringe there. Too soon, too soon, too soon, too serious. I don't know if we make. All right, all right. Um, here, a lighthearted note before we get to Molly. It is the Georgia Alabama game this week, number two versus number three. So let's just give our picks real quick. Um, certainly, it's hard not to to 
think differently about it after last week, after Ole Miss had its way with Alabama's defense. Um, can George, Is this the year Georgia gets over the hump? Is this the week Georgia gets over the hump? Because they might play twice. Yeah, that's a better way to frame it. Um, <laughs> as much as I think Georgia has been more impressive so far, I still... You know, I have more confidence in the Alabama run game. I have more confidence in the Alabama receivers. I know Georgia's receivers have have stepped up quite a bit, and I think Stetson Bennett's playing well. Uh, But I can't pick against Alabama not there also. I'm going with Alabama in this game. It's an interesting situation where, at this point, Georgia is every bit as talented, if not more so, than than Alabama. Sure about uh, that? They recruit at that level. You sure about that? I think one through eighty-five, yes, but there's a probably you know I wouldn't say necessarily at certain positions: quarterback, receiver, um, running back. Uh, you know, it's more lines of scrimmage where I think they're even, if not better. And certainly, I mean, Georgia's defense is outstanding. The problem is. What is outstanding in defense these days when you play a team like, I mean, they had an outstanding defense last year and they had no answer for Joe Burrow, just like nobody else did. And I'm not sure you can slow down Mac Jones and his receivers and Najee Harris. So, and then of course, what Ole Miss did last week and what, you remember when it used to be like, oh, Nick Saban, they can't handle mobile quarterbacks. I don't think it was ever that as much as up-tempo. Up-tempo really phases them. Like it does everybody. It stresses defenses and they're not immune to that and I don't think you know as, as I think their offense looks more competent than it did last year but it's not doing you know they're, they're not moving at that kind of pace they're not stretching the field and I just don't think it's the right kind of offense to take advantage of this Alabama defense so I'm picking Alabama and depending on what happens I mean if they do beat them and this would be however many umpteen straight times George is going to have some soul searching to do in the event that they do play the following, do do end up playing again in the SEC championship. Because I do think Georgia is good enough to be a top four team come early December, but they're going to have to figure out a way to beat Bama to do it. All right, let's get to our guest. Uh, It's Molly McGrath from ESPN, who Bruce and I both worked with at Fox. She was at Fox uh, same time I was and, um, and has now been at ESPN for several years. And let's bring her on now. All right, we're pleased to be joined now by ESPN's Molly McGrath. She is, you see her every week at a big game on the sideline. And last week, Molly, you had a game that turned into something I don't think any of us could have expected, the Alabama Ole Miss shootout. So, I mean, that's the first thing I want to hit you up on. We're going to talk about your your adventures as a sideline reporter this season. But uh, first up, how concerned should we be about Alabama's defense heading into this, this big Georgia game? Honestly, I think the biggest shock of the season thus far was the fact that that game wasn't a blowout. You go into an Alabama Ole Miss game, especially with Ole Miss with a new head coach, and there's been a lot of turnaround in that program, and you know there are going to be a lot of points scored because it's Ole Miss, but you think that Alabama is going to be dominant in that game. So I have some stories in my back pocket. I'm getting ready to tell some feature stories about players and go in different directions, and then right off the bat, Ole Miss scores. And um, it was something I've never really seen with Alabama is their defense was on their heels and players on the sidelines looked pretty shocked. Like they 
you could tell they were frustrated that they weren't blowing out Ole Miss because that was what was expected of them. And I think the big thing that I took away from that is that tempo is a real issue for defenses in general, but for Alabama's defense, they really struggled against Ole Miss's tempo. And credit to Jeff Levy, who called an incredible game for Ole Miss, their offensive coordinator. I think it's really interesting Lane Kiffin told us the only thing that we can do, because they strictly just don't have the bodies on defense to keep up with an Alabama. So he said the best thing that we can do is score as many points as they do and just keep trying to score. And and Jeff Levy is able to keep them at such a high pace. You know, he was under Art Bryles and he knows a big 12 offense and how fast it can be. And he calls plays really interestingly he will call his next offensive play based on where his receivers end up on the field so his he knows his receivers are going to end up here here and here and he will make sure to call his next play based on that so players don't have to get lined up they're already exactly where they need to be so they went at an extremely fast pace Alabama's players were on the sidelines um you know I noticed hands on the hips they were sucking down oxygen by the end of the game and that's something you know it's not we see that that's not out of the norm when players get oxygen, but for an Alabama, that was pretty shocking. The fact that they did not have control of that game. And the fact that I was interviewing Lane Kiffin at halftime instead of Nick Saban. So I do think it is concerning. I think this is a year where we'll see offenses um, get the best of defenses in general, because with coronavirus, with, training camps cut short, everything like that, defensive fundamentals aren't exactly intact. And SEC teams especially don't have a tune-up game against a Citadel. So you're seeing a lot of missed tackles, a lot of mistakes, a lot of missed assignments. So I think this will be a theme that we see this year, uh, offenses getting the best of defenses. But you know, I think that was the most pissed off Nick Saban has ever been after a win. So he's going to get his team ready And I think it was a good wake-up call for Alabama before they play the best defense in the SEC, which is Georgia. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Molly, what's it, you're, on the, you're on the field, you're down there, you've been down there for years at different venues. I'm curious, what's your read on what, what the energy is like in the building, but also... What is it like, how the players are feeding off? Can you hear more, even if you're not proximity-wise, because the crowd noise isn't the same? Like, What is your operating structure like as you kind of get a read on the situation? Yeah, I actually um, don't mind covering college football in a pandemic because these stadiums are much quieter. Um, 
not all of them have bands going. So I'm able to hear coaches yelling at players and players yelling at each other much easier. So in that sense, um, it's a added benefit, but especially in blowouts or games where teams are frustrated, it's like the air has been sucked out of the building or out of the stadium a little bit because there's just less energy to feed off of. Um, so teams have to bring their own energy and that takes mental toughness. And that's something that we talked to Nick Saban about, you know, in a game against Ole Miss where they expected to play through a hurricane, he needed his team to be mentally tough. He needed his team to bring their own energy um, and be able to outlast a team that they would know would score a lot as Ole Miss does. And I think in the first half, Alabama, like I was on Alabama's sideline and it was kind of dead. Players were quiet and shocked and didn't really know how to respond to the fact that Ole Miss was hanging in the game with them. Um, so that was an interesting thing to see. And then I think probably at halftime, Nick Saban lit a fire under them a little bit. I would love to have been a fly on the wall at, during that halftime speech. And they had a little more energy coming out of halftime. And their defense pulled through in the end. I mean, they made stops down the stretch and forced field goals when they absolutely needed to. Um, but it is a bigger challenge for teams this year to have to bring their own energy when there aren't fans and there's not a lot of energy in these buildings. All right, so you said you don't mind covering college football during a pandemic, and I think that's what we want to find out more about. I mean, at a time when a lot of us are trying not to travel, you're on a plane every week, and breaking news, everybody, you, you've got a baby coming. And as Bruce and I have both been uh, seen our wives go through that, we can't imagine um, working a game for six hours uh, uh, and doing you know kind of the physical strain that you're under. So... Uh, what has the season been like for you so far and and maybe um you know what have been the biggest challenges it's been really interesting you know i i talked to my doctor about it and i feel very safe traveling um because of the precautions i've taken because of the fact that espn is testing us uh, constantly for the coronavirus and my pregnancy has been very healthy so i've been very fortunate in that sense where Honestly, it makes no real difference to me until after the game. Um, I'm entering my third trimester this week, which is crazy to say. And um, I definitely get weird looks as I'm putting my bag up above um, the overhead bin. And I have this big pregnant belly and people are like, are you okay? Why are you traveling? What's going on? Um, but when it comes to game time, I get into this zone where my my base needs have changed because of the fact that I'm pregnant. I have to eat every couple hours. I have to put my feet up. My back hurts. I have back problems. But when I'm working, all of that kind of falls away. Um, I have to force myself to eat at halftime because I know I need to for my baby, but I'm not hungry. Um, you know, pregnant women, it's, you know, newsflash, pregnant women have to pee every 30 minutes because of the pressure in on their body, like going down to their bladder. And I went six hours without going to the bathroom during the Alabama Ole Miss game because I was so locked in. Um, and during a game, a sideline reporter, a good sideline reporter, someone that uh, truly gives energy to both sidelines is constantly walking in a circle or running if there are injuries all around the field. And it's probably, you know, like seven, eight miles that you end up walking in a game. So that's not something that I've noticed any difference in myself until probably around the fourth quarter 
you know, at the end of a long game, I'm limping a little bit. My feet are swollen. My back is killing me. I'm ready to go to bed, but it really hasn't affected my job at all. I think more than anything, I feel better at my job because I know that there are bigger things in life than work and I have better perspective and I'm much calmer and more relaxed when I'm working now. And also one benefit is that with social distancing, you can't go up to coaches and you can't go up to players and talk to people. You have to keep distance, but people immediately see a pregnant belly and they want to talk to you. Like in what other situation would I have Ed Reed coming up to me on the sideline during a Miami game and saying, congratulations, do you know what you're having? And then that opens up an opportunity for me to talk to Ed Reed before a game. Um, So I've actually found that it's mostly been positives Um, it's just, it is physically taxing on my body, especially the lack of sleep and the standing and everything like that, but I'm determined to not let it slow me down. And so far it hasn't. What has been that situation? Like when you're coming from, you're on the West coast, you're making long trips, right? I've, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I know some of our friends who you work with, maybe they've been more regionalized because of the pandemic. Maybe they're driving and everything, but you're doing long trips, and I imagine that the logistics of this are a lot more challenging now beyond just being pregnant. So how is that part kind of sorted out, like how your job is, how it is to, you know, who you cover, the teams you cover, different protocols, different, you know, it's it's way different now than what it would have been in a, quote, normal year, right? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, traveling from the West Coast, Like, as you guys know, and Stuart, I think you're still on the West Coast, as you know, um, it's a challenge because there's so many good games out East, especially in the SEC and the ACC. Um, This weekend, I have UNC at Florida State, so I'm going to Tallahassee, and I live in Seattle. Those are polar opposite ends of the country. And the challenge with that is the fact that we have to get our coronavirus tests um, before we're able to work. So you... You travel cross country after a long day, you land, you go straight to the hotel and then you go in for testing and you get tested and then you immediately have to quarantine until you get your test results back. And when you test negative, then you're allowed to be among the crew because God forbid you don't want to expose anyone else to the coronavirus and then our broadcast is gone or we put people at risk. So Molly, is that like a six hour wait or is that an hour? Like how long are you kind of quarantined? Um, It's getting better. In the beginning, it was a full day where you don't leave your hotel, you have to get room service or Uber Eats and you can't have contact with anyone and you're just locked up in your hotel room. And then you get an email saying you tested negative, you're good to go. Like I've gotten it, you know, on Friday night before a game. Um, but it's getting better and they've, they've adjusted ESP like ESPN is adjusting with the times and college football is adjusting with the times we're all trying to figure out what the heck we're doing here. Um, and so ESPN has gotten better with their testing in terms of the turnaround time. Um, people are testing at home sometimes in the beginning of the week doing, um, like rapid tests or saliva tests and you mail it in yourself on a Monday or or Tuesday, and then you get the results back within hours, which is amazing. And then you're able to travel and go to your game. So um, ESPN is doing a wonderful job of making sure that we're safe and tested, but it's definitely a logistical challenge. And it's a challenge when you're traveling. 
And um, you know that you have to get in at a certain time to test, especially in the beginning, you have to get in before 4 p.m. on a Thursday. And for me, that means, you know, sometimes traveling on a Wednesday. Um, so it's, it's challenging, but we're all doing the best we can. And honestly, this challenge is better than not covering college football at all. So I just feel fortunate that I'm able to work this fall. I can't believe they send it to you by email. Like somebody doesn't knock on your door and say, all right, you can come work now. You just have to keep refreshing the Gmail <laughs> account or whatever. Yeah, you can come out of your cave now. You haven't left your room in 24 hours. You can come out now. No, they send you an email um, if it's negative and supposedly they call you if it's positive, which you don't want to get a call. Um, and then you're cleared to go and you can go on site. And ESPN has done a great job, too, of putting people in certain um, you're in certain categories. Like, I think I'm category E and it's on your credential and you're only allowed to go where other category E people are for contact tracing purposes. So I get to a stadium and usually in the past, I would go into the truck, I would talk to my producer, I would talk to my director, um, go over any last minute things. I would go into the tape room, see if I have any, you know, pre-produced uh, elements, talk to the guys in there, and then go out to the field. And it's much more of a collaborative effort. I've done a game, like I did the uh, Florida State Miami game where I showed up, I drove myself in by myself because you're not allowed to drive in with other people, parked the car, went straight to the field covered the game and said bye to my producer and director over my microphone and then got back in the car and drove back to the hotel. I did a game without seeing one person that I work with. And that's just how it is these days. I know it's, it's so crazy. It's so different, but you have to do it to stay safe and especially for contact tracing purposes. So um, it's definitely less of a team collaborative feel this year, which is something I, I really miss. So you said you've got UNC at Florida State this week and uh, actually just wrote about UNC and what a great story that is, top five. You worked with Mac Brown. Like, I, I can't remember. You guys were on the same crew for, what, at least a you, you can tell us, but what's that going to be like now covering him as, as a coach? Yeah, so I worked the Friday night crew with Mac Brown. I think it was my first year at ESPN and the first person I met at ESPN that I was going to be working with was Mac Brown. And we were both in town in Bristol for, it may have been for our college football seminar and Mac and I, you know, had a glass of wine and got dinner. And next thing I know, we're talking for three hours and he's like my best friend in the world. He is one of the kindest people. Um, he's one of the first people I told that I was pregnant He's going to be, you know, a de facto uncle to my child. He's an incredible human being and a really good friend and a really good coach. He's a good um, manager and leader of people. Like he knows how to delegate well. And you can tell that in the turnaround at UNC. It definitely is unique, though, covering a friend because you want to be unbiased and you also don't want to hold back on what you need to say about the team because if they're, if they're failing in some way, you know, so um, that's, that's a challenge. Luckily UNC is playing really well. If they were having issues, maybe that like Florida state was having, it would be some tough love. And I, you know, I would have to have some conversations with Mac, like, Hey, this is nothing personal, but your team is falling short. Uh, but that's not the case here. And Luckily, Mike Norvell is another wonderful person who I absolutely love to cover. He's one of the 
uh, easiest coaches to work with as well. So these, this is like a great plum assignment for me in the sense that I'm working with two people that I truly genuinely enjoy. It's just two programs kind of in different places because UNC is the number five team in the country. Um, do I think that they're really a top five team? I don't know. This could be a result of the pandemic and the fact that we have less teams playing right now, but they deserve what they've been given and they've worked really hard. Um, and they've come from, I think they were two and nine or three and eight a couple years ago. Like uh, the seniors now have lived through two win seasons, which is wild. And now they're number five in the country. That kind of turnaround doesn't happen without special people in the program and without special coaches. And then you have a Florida state, which has met adversity after adversity after adversity with their three head coaches in the last four years. And Mike Norvell tests positive for the coronavirus ahead of the Miami game. And they have, you know, quarterback changes. And so Florida state wants to be like UNC maybe next year or in a couple years from now. And I do think that, and players have told me, you know, I talked to Jordan Travis earlier today before this, uh, their quarterback and players have told me they feel like a turnaround is coming and they feel close. They just need to take that next step. They just need to get there. And I think it'll take a couple years with recruiting for Florida state. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to see my, my good friend Mac Brown on Saturday and I will try to be as unbiased as possible, even though I love him. Well, I just want to circle back on, on, you know, talking about your pregnancy and, and, and being open about it. And I was curious how much, if at all, did you have conversations with some of your colleagues who may have worked through it? Uh, we have a mutual friend I know who, who did work through it. Um, and But what you want to share, not just with with the people who are you're covering, but also the people who may be, you know, a 15-year-old looking up to Molly McGrath or... You know, maybe it's, you know, it could be anybody. I mean, so how have you chosen to to uh, to do that? And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Everything I do in my career is for those 15 year olds. Like those are the people who really motivate me to be an example and to work hard and be good at my job are the young women and young men who may look up to me or want to be in broadcasting someday. And the sad reality is when a woman gets a positive pregnancy test and, and frankly, my husband and I were trying for over a year to get pregnant. And because of my schedule and the life that I live, it was nearly impossible. Pandemic hits. Hey, it's possible now. So that was a silver lining of 2020 in the pandemic. But when a woman sees a positive pregnancy test and she's in this field or she's in a male dominated industry, there's this sense of happiness, but also a sense of, oh crap, how is this going to affect my career? And there's some negativity there and it's sad but it's a reality and that's how women feel. And so I, you know, I didn't have to see anyone um, during the pandemic. So I was able to hide it really easily. I was probably five, almost, 
I was five months pregnant, almost six months pregnant before I told anyone. And I hadn't told my bosses yet. And I knew I was going to be on camera a week from then. So I knew I had to tell them because they were going to see me with the socially distanced interviews and my belly and my bump would show. So I called Laura Rutledge and because Laura gave birth in the middle of football season last year or yeah, last year, last October. And I know that was a challenge for her. And so she was the first person I told at ESPN and I just asked her, what was it like telling our bosses, you know, I'm shaking. I feel like I'm going to throw up. I don't want to tell anyone. I'm scared. I'm worried this will hurt my career. And she said, I felt the same way. She said she, I think she literally threw up before she called our bosses. She made herself physically ill because she was so worried about it, which is so sad that women feel that way, but they couldn't have been more happy for her as a person and more understanding And talking to her gave me the strength and the courage to make that phone call without any fear. Um, She made me feel so much better about it. And so I I called my bosses and they were incredible. Like beyond what I would have expected, they were so happy for me. And they said, work as long as you want. We will use you as much as you want to be used. And when you say you have to stop, let us know the week before and you can stop. And when you're ready to come back, come back, but take your time. And that was so reassuring to hear. And I felt so empowered by it. And I was kind of like, wow, I feel so silly for being so worried. And um, Chris Budden is a good friend of mine. And she had an entire pregnancy that she hid. Like she went an entire football season wearing baggy clothes and big baggy jackets and didn't tell a soul. And no one even knew that she had a baby in the off season. Um, because she didn't feel safe sharing that with people. And so I said, you know, there's an issue with that. So I I think it's important to show that I'm pregnant, to show that I'm still working. And it's important for people to see that. Like usually when women are on camera and they're pregnant, they shoot you tight, just chest up and they don't show your body. But I think it's good to normalize pregnant bodies on television and to normalize that like people are all different and women are different and I'm going to be a mom, but I'm still going to be working. So when my directors ask me, do you care if we show your bump? I'm like, no, show it. I don't care. I want girls at home to see and and young men as well to see that you're able to be a mom, be a family person and work. And it's not going to slow you down and it's not going to affect your career more than anything. You should feel empowered to celebrate those things. So I've gone through a kind of personal transformation within the last six or seven months in my pregnancy from being afraid and wondering if I should hide it period to no, I'm going to celebrate it because I want to make it easier for the, for the next generation and for the people after me. And I wouldn't feel this way if it weren't for the women who came before me, like Chris Budden, Allison Williams, um, Laura Rutledge, they all went through this and they've strived and they've, their careers have skyrocketed and, you know, pregnancy hasn't slowed them down. So I'm inspired by them. And I hope that I can at least get that message across to young people as well. Well, one thing that, that is evident in, in what, in the answer you just gave us is the bond that, that you and, and some of the other sideline reporters have. And, uh, before we go, we wanted to mention, so during the pandemic, I, I noticed that you and Allison and Chris were doing these live videos and, and, I think it had a cool name, Sidelined Reporters, during the pandemic. And now it's turned into a podcast. Tell us about it. Yeah. So I think the other than getting pregnant, 
the biggest silver lining of the pandemic was the friendship that I was able to really foster with Chris Button and Allison Williams. Um, Allison texted Chris and I and said, you know, do you guys want to do something? Like we're sitting at home, we're not able to work. Let's do some kind of video series interviewing other people and let's talk about our jobs. And, you know, our inboxes are so full of questions from young broadcasters and broadcasting hopefuls. And during the busyness of a season, you're not able to answer all those questions. Well, we took questions and started just as a Q&A, as answering questions for young people and advice to young broadcasters. And then it blossomed into something else. And it became really a, a passion project where we were doing Facebook lives on ESPN PR's Facebook page. I don't know how many people saw it, but it, the stories we were able to tell were incredible from from people like Sage Steele telling us that she was told in her first job that she wasn't worth a raise to Maria Taylor talking about, um, you know, the racial injustices in our country and that being a black woman in college football is like wearing a weighted vest at all times. And she carries that weight with her everywhere she goes. So we had these incredible conversations. And then, you know, once the pandemic it's not over, but once college football started to come back and we were no longer sidelined, we said, let's turn it into a podcast and tell these stories. And um, in this week's episode, we actually had Laura Rutledge on. So we talked about the balance that she has been able to find is incredible with motherhood. She's the host of NFL Live. She's the host of SEC Nation. On Saturday, she also did a 14-hour shift doing college football raps, halftime shows, cut-ins, and college football final. She is an absolute beast. Um, so it is a place, and it's not its not just for women, but it is a place to talk about our lives and the balances of motherhood and working in a male-dominated industry, and also to just kind of to talk about the insides of our jobs and like what we experience on the sidelines. And, you know, what, what was it like talking to Nick Saban you know, at halftime off camera when he's really pissed that his defense looks terrible against Ole Miss, you know, those little moments that we're not really always able to share on the air. So it's been wonderful and it has created a really strong bond between myself, Chris Budden and the other women that we've been able to interview. So that's been a really positive thing. And it just shows that there's this like misconception that women in sports or women in television are really competitive we all root for each other, especially at ESPN. There's like a really strong bond with the women at ESPN where we truly do want what's best for each other and we root for each other. And so I, I hope that comes across in the podcast. It's called Sideline Pass is the podcast name now. And so this week's episode will have Laura Rutledge. Molly, we appreciate you joining us today. I do want to, you know, I do want to give you a, a real shout out from last year or something. I know I DM'd you this, but just as somebody who had done sideline for a while, I thought you had as good of a moment. And granted, it came in a horrible situation because of Tua, but just with all the chaos and with all the adrenaline that's going, you had asked, and I think it might be five words. I haven't looked back yet, but it was, what can you tell us? And to me, as somebody who's just like knows how chaotic that stuff was, like that is about as ideal. I don't know if it's the perfect question because, you know, but it's about close to perfect as I think you can get to tee up a coach in that situation to get information. Um, and so, you know, hats off to you for that. I, at some point, I would, you know, like to just talk to you about that just in terms of because I think it's a 
good lesson for any reporter, much less a sideline reporter, certainly. But, um, you know, since we ha- this is the first time we've had you on there, I did want to, you know, make sure people know that, you know, you, you were uh, you did an awesome job with that. And I thought that was as good as a moment as any sideline person I know has had. So I just wanted to share that at this point. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, one thing I've learned in my career is that sometimes a simple question is the best question. And that was just an example of that. Easier said than done. Believe me. <laughs> many, 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 many a reporter has stepped on themselves just in the moment. And I think that's not as, I don't think people realize how hard that is to do when everything else is going on in your ear. Yeah, absolutely. And especially as you're staring down Nick Saban and you know that he's devastated and he has tears in his eyes in that moment. Um, I think that kind of moment proves how valuable sideline reporters really are in the pandemic. I think it's starting to prove how valuable sideline reporters are because they're able to add things. And when things go wrong and news changes and there are injuries, you need someone there. You need boots on the ground. We may have people broadcasting games at home, but I do think it's really valuable to have a sideline reporter at a game. Um, So that's been a huge thing in 2020 is that, you know, we need to keep having sideline reporters. Well, thanks for joining us and good luck on, I can't even imagine how long a trip it is from Seattle to Tallahassee, Florida, probably like the whole day and night. And uh, we'll look for you on the game this weekend. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks to our guest, Molly McGrath, for joining us. And thank you for joining us. Uh, As always, now we're in season. You can check us out. Uh, We'll be back with a fresh episode on Sunday after a big weekend of games. Of course, please uh, subscribe to The Audible. Please rate and review. And five-star reviews are much much appreciated and send your questions as well to the autopod at gmail.com and we will see you next time how did we get away with the things we used to do jumping off bridges spinning down hills and catching air